Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, I'm Blair Bathory, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Whether it's your first time delving into the darkness, or you're one of the brave souls who join us every week, welcome We all know the places that you cannot go or that are off limits. Sometimes we're deterred by parents or trusted adults. Sometimes we hear urban legends and horror stories that warn us of certain locations that are dangerous and harmful. But sometimes it's the danger that draws us in. The opportunity to be the explorer the adventurous one who will go where no one else dares. And sometimes, trespassing in those places will for sure get you killed. First, a longing that kills you, followed by a graveyard tale. Then, scratches in the basement. Finally, in our featured story, a beast hiding in plain sight. So... Want to hear something scary? Trespass and die. Just because you're drawn to something doesn't mean it's going to be good for you. Like in this story, inspired by Colin Austed. I remember seeing the piano for the first time when we entered the old manor. The memory is seared into my brain. It was sitting in the main room of the old, rotting house. It seemed so out of place, pristine and untouched, surrounded by mold and nature slowly reclaiming the manor. I couldn't help but wonder why, as my best friend Jace and I explored the old house. We started urban exploring a few years before, And after we exhausted all the local abandoned stores and houses, we decided to expand to the outskirts. There, we found the old manor. It once belonged to a rich industrialist named John Fraze. From the outside, it was covered in a collection of graffiti, vines, and trash. Dude, this place is amazing. Jace said as we made our way through what remained of the front door. Inside was just as run down, broken glass everywhere and crude pictures and words scrawled on the walls. As we made our way through, there she was, the grand piano, P. 
pure white and seemingly untouched by the detritus surrounding it. As we got near it, I saw a small brass plate on the side of the piano which read, The Great White. My fingers ran over the spotless surface of the piano. Jace joined me, pressing down on a few keys. The clear notes echoed around the room. It was in perfect tune. Without saying anything, Jace sat down and began to play. Moonlight Sonata. It seemed haunting in the still air of the manor. I was so impressed. I had no clue he played. He looked at me with a sort of vacant stare. I don't, he said. Before I could wonder too much about that, I suggested we go explore before the sun went down. I started for the stairs, but noticed he wasn't behind me. When I looked back, I saw Jace was still sitting at the piano, his fingers caressing the keys. I had to call out to him a couple of times to get his attention. He finally grumbled and followed me upstairs. But all the while we were there, I could tell Jace wasn't interested. Usually, he was the first one to go into a new area, but now he kept looking back with a look of longing on his face. On our way back downstairs, we stopped at the piano again and I could tell Jace wanted to play. When he stepped over the keys, I slammed the cover down. I looked at Jace and took a step back, tripping over a broken chair. I landed hard on the floor as Jace looked at me with rage in his eyes. This wasn't like him. We need to get home. This place is a bust, I said. He looked at me, but it wasn't him. He bent down and snagged a shard of glass from the floor. As he stumbled towards me, I cried out. He stopped and blinked. He then looked around, seemingly confused. When he saw the shard of glass in his hand, he dropped it, then pulled me to my feet. You were tripping for a sec. I thought you were going to carve me up, I said. Jace shook as we walked out and he was silent the whole ride home. Once I dropped him off at his house, I asked if he wanted to hang out, but he shook his head. Over the next few days, I hardly saw Jace at school. The few times I did, his skin looked waxy and drawn. His eyes had a hollow look to them with deep bags. A month later, I was out late when I saw Jace driving out of town. Almost right away, I knew where he was going, the old manor. I followed and parked my car across the way as I watched Jace vanish from sight. By the time I entered the manor, the sounds of the old piano could be heard. As I peeked around the corner, I saw Jace slumped over at the piano, but the sounds continued to echo throughout the room. Something wasn't right. His face was pale with a grayish tint. His once muscular body was now thin and frail under his clothes. I reached out to shake his shoulder. The moment I touched him, he slid to the floor, no more than a lifeless shell. A cloud of dust filled the air as his body hit the tiles and I ran. I ran out into the darkness and drove as fast as I could to the police station. Once I was able to tell the police what happened, they followed me back to the manor house and I showed them where Jace's body was. Well, where it had been. 
there was no sign of Jace or his car. The police questioned me and asked if this was some kind of sick joke. I told them everything, but they didn't believe me. They searched the whole manor house and the surrounding area, but there was no sign of Jace anywhere. After a long night, when I got home, I did something I should have done in the first place. I researched the old manor. The former owner, Mr. Fraze, was obsessed with playing his favorite piano, which he named the Great White. It was rumored to be possessed by his ghost who forced you to play it until you died. Suddenly, it all made sense. It's been five years since my best friend Jace was last seen at that manor house, and since then, it's been boarded up. The only thing that still stands in the ruins of the old manor house is that piano. Still pristine and clean, waiting for the next unsuspecting victim to play it. Have you ever been so drawn to something nothing could stop you? Was it your gut instinct or was it something sinister and possibly supernatural? Tell us your story by emailing us at somethingscary@snarled.com. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Sometimes the spookiest stories can't be explained, especially when they lead to terrifying circumstances. As in this story, inspired by the 13 Steps to Hell urban legend and written by Janine Pipe. There are certain things you do when you're dating someone, things you wouldn't do ordinarily. One of those things specifically for me was going to a graveyard with my new girlfriend. I've never been afraid of anything rumored to lurk on hallowed ground, mainly because I don't believe. But getting caught there by the cops was enough to give me hives. Tara was trying to build a following on TikTok by going to so-called haunted hangouts and, of course, hoping she could catch something on camera that would go viral. I wasn't much for social media and also a complete skeptic. Well, they do say opposites attract. Since visiting a graveyard in the middle of the night to capture paranormal activity isn't exactly legal, at least we could potentially piss off some restless spirits, but more likely we could get caught trespassing. That was what was fueling my anxiety. 
Still, I couldn't help but smile as Tara skipped past markers and headed towards a large and very old looking crypt. I swept the ground with my flashlight like a security guard, torn between not wanting to draw any attention to us and not wanting to trip and end up in the ER with an inexplicable injury. Here we are, she whispered, sticking her phone in my face, recording video to post later. The 13 steps to hell. I tried my best not to scoff as she was amping it up to 11 for her followers. Oh, I replied woodenly, but as scripted. Why do they call it that, Tara? Well, she replied, this mausoleum belongs to the Beaumont family and has been here for over a hundred years. There are many Beaumonts buried here, but could there be more to this story? These steps are said to, oh, Tara stopped abruptly as she pushed up the iron gate outside the tomb. Her plan had been to stand in front of the old building and film it since it would obviously be locked. But unexpectedly, the lock seemed to be broken and the gate swung open into the crypt. I knew immediately what was going through her mind. And sure enough, with excitement shining in her eyes, she said, let's go inside. Danger alarms rang immediately in my mind, but before I could voice my concern, Tara had the camera back on and was recording her descent into the mausoleum and searching with just the light from her phone for the famous steps. I stepped into the darkness, filled with trepidation, following her voice and the dull illumination from her cell. Hey guys, so we are now inside the Beaumont crypt and we are about to find out exactly where the famous 13 steps to hell really lead. This is so cool. She suddenly gasped and turned towards me. (gasps) Lizzie, they're really here. Oh my God, let's do this. I could live feed when I get to the bottom. Before I could say a word, she had darted through the pitch black opening and I could hear her feet hitting the steps. I raced over and looked down where she had disappeared mere seconds before. What the? Tara? It couldn't be. It made absolutely no sense. Tara! I called out, panicking now. I pushed against what was once an opening where I had seen my girlfriend enter, see her descend, but now was just a solid wall. It was like a magic trick, an illusion of some sort. I pushed and banged, kicked and dragged my nails over the stones, the whole time shouting, sobbing, crying out for Tara's name until I was hoarse. As exhaustion threatened to take over and I slid down the wall, I heard a sound, very quiet, as if it was coming from under the ground somewhere. Help. I only heard it once, but it was enough to call 911. The police searched the cemetery. I'm not sure they believed how Tara had disappeared, but they seemed to accept that something had happened. Once the sun came up and they had more light, they increased the search area. They brought in powerful lights to examine the crypt. There was no sign of her, which I already knew, because she was under the crypt. I didn't know how or why, but she had gone through the opening, down the 13 steps, And not only had she vanished without a trace, but so had the door and the steps themselves. Of course, they weren't going to knock through a wall 
which looked as solid as the day it had been built over a hundred years ago. So she remained missing, vanished without a trace. I'll never know what happened, where those 13 steps led to, or why they just stopped existing. But I just can't stop thinking, what if she's really in hell, stuck, trapped for eternity? Would you ever visit a cemetery at night? Have you ever entered a building or room and something changed? Would you have been brave enough to walk down the 13 steps to hell. The Children's Ward Hospital in Paddington Green opened in 1883. It held sick children and young women, some of whom died during their stay. When they finally closed the ward in 1987, it was converted into apartments. You can change the purpose of the building but you cannot change the death-filled history based on a true story by Jody. For seven years, I lived in a block of flats in London that had been converted from a children's hospital. The inside of the building had completely been repurposed, but when you viewed it from the outside, you could still see the words children's hospital engraved into the red brick building. When my mother and I first moved into our new home, I thought she was crazy for picking the place. It was dingy and always felt cold, probably because our flat was in the basement. We had one window that viewed the park opposite us, but the rest of the rooms only viewed an awkward angle of the street above, barely shining any light during the day as it was blocked by a brick wall. I tried to stay positive about the new spot. It was what we could afford at the time, but it didn't take long before we started noticing some strange occurrences. It first started in my bedroom. My niece was hanging out with us and she was laying in the top bunk bed. We were just chilling, quietly scrolling through our phones until a very obnoxious scratching sound disrupted the silence. Aunt Jody, what are you doing? My niece asked. Real funny, Zoe. I know that's you making that noise, I retorted. She insisted it wasn't her, but I didn't believe her. Soon, however, I found out she was telling me the truth. One night, I laid awake in the top bunk of my bed when I heard something through my headphones. I listened for a moment, but I was met with complete silence. So I shrugged it off. As I lay peacefully in bed, my eyes shot open when I heard the familiar scratching. It was quiet and lasted only for a brief moment, but I could tell it was coming from under my bed. Zoe was over at a friend's house that night, so I was immediately struck with panic and confusion. Although my mother inspected the room, including under the bed, there was nothing. After that, we had heard it a few more times, but could never find what was causing it. Around this time, I also began having strange dreams. Usually, I would be drifting up from my bed and wandering around the flat. It would feel like I was awake, but obviously asleep. Although I was floating, I could feel the heavy weight of my body as I drifted around. 
At first, these dreams wouldn't last as my chest would pound with excitement, waking me. But with each occurrence, I practiced keeping calm and managed to get them to last longer. It was fun at first, until I saw it. The dream started as usual with me floating up, but this time was different. For the first time, I looked below from where I had risen and saw myself, lying peacefully in my bed. This nearly caused me to wake, but I wanted to continue, so I calmed my breathing. Slowly, my body, or I guess my dream body, drifted to the floor, and as I opened my eyes, I felt my stomach drop. Standing above me, right next to the bunk bed, a small, dark figure with no distinctive features silently looked down at me. My mind raced with several thoughts as I watched in fear. Not once did it move, but I desperately wanted to wake up. Wake up, wake up, wake up! I finally did, jerking my body from the mattress. I looked towards the spot from where it had stood in my dream and I shuddered just thinking about it. Unfortunately, that wasn't the last I saw of it. I began to see it when I was awake, catching glimpses of it rushing past the kitchen or in the reflection of the mirror opposite my bed. After a while, I began to get used to its presence. One time, I even heard footsteps in my room when no one else was home, but I just completely ignored it. But then, it did something I hadn't expected. It said my name, right when I was about to fall asleep. Jody. It whispered, causing me to jump out of my bed, my eyes darting around the dark room, but like before, there was nothing which I guess I should have been thankful for. I spoke to one of my neighbors, who had claimed they could hear children's laughter in the stairway, but no one who lived upstairs had kids, and every time she checked, it was empty. My mother and brother also stated they had seen the same ghost in the living room, which was a little girl in a blue smock dress standing in the corner of the room. I had never seen her myself, nor was I sure if it was a link to the shadow spirit, but I wasn't any closer to figuring it out. As time went on, my positive outlook on living in that damn building had diminished to despise and dread. My room was always cold, and no matter how much I cleaned and used dehumidifiers, mold would practically grow everywhere. Everyone that came over would always say that there was a negative energy in that room. One of my closest friends had even seen the shadow and freaked out, asking me if I saw what they had witnessed. Finally, after years of waiting, we moved out last year, out of that horrible place. Since then, I haven't had any more of those strange dreams, but not a night goes by where my name isn't whispered to me before I fall asleep. Jody. Have you ever been in a place where many people have been sick or died? Did you ever feel a presence there? Did it stick with you? In our final story, join my co-host Stephanie as she tells the tale of Nagai Kumbi, inspired by Damien Salo, and animated over on our YouTube channel, 
visit youtube.com snarled. Having a special bond with your roommate or friend can make you feel like you're living with a sister or someone who's always had your back, which makes it even more devastating when you find out that the trusted person is not who you thought they were. My roommate Ren and I sat on the couch like zombies. We had been playing video games for three whole days straight and eating pizza. It was unusually cold in Sapporo, Japan, where we lived. The gloomy weather outside managed to travel into our small, sunless space. And there we sat, until she died, and didn't rejoin the game. I continued to play when a pillow pelted me right in the face. Let's go outside and get some fresh air, Ren said. Not only did I dominate the level, but it was freezing out there. Another pillow came at me, and then another. Finally, one knocked the controller right out of my hand. Seraphine, Seraphine, I shouted. That was our code word. It meant call a truce. And she stopped with the pillows, but insisted we leave the apartment. I didn't want to. It was dark and brutally chilly, but Ren wasn't giving up. And before I knew it, we were pulling on our heavy coats and trekking out into the bleak city. All bundled up, it wasn't that bad and it felt good to stretch our legs. As we passed convenience stores and empty restaurants, the city felt dead in these weather conditions. I didn't like the eeriness, but Ren thrived on it. She wanted to stay out all night. We passed traffic lights, headed towards the outskirts of the city and towards the abandoned water station. It had been empty since the 80s and no one was supposed to trespass inside. We approached the station and the air was still, too still. My eyes darted around nervously while Ren took off exploring, using her cell phone as a flashlight. She screamed, nearly giving me a heart attack. I grabbed my phone to turn on the light, but my battery was dying. And then I hear Ren cry out loud with excitement. What happened? I shouted. She grabbed me and led me to a trapdoor. It was an entrance into the sewer tunnels. She was thrilled. I was not. As I was listing off all the reasons we should not go down there, she was taken off into the tunnels. I was barely able to follow the light from her phone. Droplets of water hit my head, giving me a chill. I had to keep dodging the rats running over my feet. Ren stopped dead when her light illuminated what looked like a woman's face in front of us. I almost bumped into her. You do see that, I whispered. Ren shook her head. She must have seen her. It was impossible to avoid the sinister look in her eyes. Ren called out, hello? But there was no answer. As we slowly moved closer, the light began to illuminate more of the woman. We got so close, it became undeniable. The woman had no body, just a floating disembodied head. Startled, Ren dropped her phone, leaving us in the pitch darkness. I shouted for us to run. I could hardly see, but I knew what that creature was. It was a nokekubi. We heard stories about it. It could shapeshift to look like any normal woman by day. But by night, it became so hungry, 
its head would detach from its body while it would search for humans to drink their blood. I felt teeth pierce the skin on my ankle. It felt like sharp knives burying deep into my bones. And with that, I tumbled to the ground. I punched and pounded until it released me. I limped as quickly as I could in the direction of the exit. It seemed like an eternity. I was sure it got Ren. I knew we shouldn't have gone down into the tunnels. Then I heard my name. It sounded like Ren, but I still had no light and I had to be sure. What? What's the code word? I shouted. No answer. I asked again. And finally, a light went on. Ren? She said, Seraphine. It was a word, but somehow she had that same sinister look in her eyes as a Nokekubi. She took me by the arm, and with that, we walked home. It had been a couple of weeks since that night, and I just felt like something is off. My roommate looks like Ren, but she's different. I think I lost my friend that night in the tunnels. It makes my skin crawl to look at her as we sit watching TV on the couch. This version of Ren doesn't play video games with me anymore. She stopped being her playful, adventurous self, and I never see her eat. But she's got to get her fixed somehow. I have to play it cool so she doesn't suspect I know something. Do you have a problem? She asked this one time she caught me staring. I shrugged and said no, but she did have a taste. It's only a matter of time before she digs into the rest of me. This week's podcast stories were edited by Sarah Lukasiewicz, Janine Pipe, and Stephanie Strange. Narration by Blair Bathory and Stephanie Strange. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Irma Richardson. Produced by Anna Villalobos. Executive produced by Gail Gilman. Music by Sapphire Sindalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my spooky friends, sweet screams. <laughs>
Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.